0: Take your Bibles this morning. Please turn to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8 this morning. We continue with our Miracles of Jesus series. I've enjoyed it and enjoyed studying it out. And I hope it's been a help to you. And often we look at the miracles of Christ and think of his power and his majesty and his glory. And that's a wonderful thing. And we reflect on those things, of course, and are reminded weekly right now that he is able. And I'm glad to know I serve a God that is able. That no matter what my needs are, no matter what my problems are, I can take them to God, and God can take care of them. Uh, I've said this a few times the last few weeks, but somebody says we shouldn't take our small problems to God, but all of our problems are small to God. And there's nothing to him. And uh, if he can speak the galaxies into existence with just a word, he can take care of our smallest need without any trouble at all. So we trust him. But we've also learned much around the miracles of Jesus. We've learned how people approached the Lord Jesus Christ, how they worshiped him, how they were thankful after he uh, touched their lives and and helped them. And this this miracle this morning is no different. And so look at Luke chapter eight with me in verse 41. We're gonna look at the daughter of Jairus. The daughter of Jairus, Luke chapter eight and verse 41. And behold, there came a man named Jairus and he was a ruler of the synagogue. That's important. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come into his house. For he had one only daughter, about 12 years of age. And she lay a-dying, but as he went, the people thronged him. And a woman, having an issue of blood, 12 years, which had spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any, came behind him and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her issue of blood stanched. And Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied, Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude thronged thee and pressed thee, and sayest thou who touched me? And Jesus said, somebody hath touched me, for I perceive that virtue has gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared unto him, before all the people, for what cause she had touched him, And how she was healed immediately. And he said unto her, daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole, go in peace. While he yet spake, there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, thy daughter is dead, trouble not the master. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. And when he came into the house, he suffered no man to go in save Peter and James and John and the father and the mother of the maiden. And all wept and bewailed her, but she said, weep not. She is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. And he put them all out and took her by the hand and called, saying, maid, arise. And her spirit came again, and she arose straightway, And he commanded to give her meat. And her parents were astonished. But he charged them that they should tell no man what was done. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your wonderful, miracle-working power. Father, all throughout the scriptures, we just see it displayed. Father, I believe that you are God and you change not. So, Lord, help us to grow our faith. Help us to learn to trust more in thee. And Father, through the preaching of your miracles and your power, that you would just turn our hearts to resting fully in you. Father, I need your help today and I ask that you'd fill me with thy Holy Spirit. May no one here grieve the Spirit of God, but instead may we surrender to him that he might do his work in our lives. Help me, I pray, fill me. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name, amen. This miracle That Jesus is about to perform starts off very grim. Some of you have experienced the loss of a child. I can't imagine what that must feel like. Children can often, while they're living, cause pain. They can hurt us from time to time and our hearts ache, but it doesn't even compare to the loss of a child. Jairus was a ruler of the synagogue, the Bible says, and I am sure that there were times where he met with other rulers of the synagogue and they prayed for this daughter. I don't know how long she was sick, but the Bible says that she was near to dying because she in fact did die just a few moments later. And his heart was aching. We must understand how Jairus had to really humble himself to step out as a leader of the synagogue, an example to these other Jewish leaders and to those that would attend that synagogue, for him to go to this radical country preacher named Jesus. And yet he humbled himself and God did a mighty work. I want you to do some things this morning that I think would do us well when we approach our Savior, when we have a need in our lives. I tell you this, ever since sin's fall, ever since Adam and Eve took of that fruit and disobeyed God and fell in sin, we have been a needy people. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I look in the mirror and I say, I am not even near His glory. Yet covered in the blood of Jesus Christ and forgiven of my sins, I know my heart and I know how I fail. We are a needy people. I want you to notice, first of all, we notice a desperate inquiry. The Bible says in verse 41, And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come into his house. For he had one only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she lay a-dying. But as he went, the people thronged him. There was a desperate inquiry made, and I want you to notice with me, first of all, it was a personal inquiry. We read a little while ago that a centurion's servant lay sick, and that centurion that was a ruler among the Romans, he, he sent a group of people to go and approach Jesus and invite him back to his home. But this became very personal for Jairus. He wasn't about to send anybody from his house. He was a ruler in the synagogue, but he didn't send a servant or a teenage boy to go on his behalf and inquire at the master. No, this was a a personal matter. It was important that he would go. And if I can say this, when we are approaching the Savior, it's wonderful to bear one another's burdens, and we ought to share those prayer requests with one another, but no one's heart is broken over your need like your own is. And when you pray to God about your needs and about your family and about your burdens, it is a little more broken. There's some more tears involved. There are some details that you will pour out before God that you won't share in a prayer meeting. And so could I encourage you to develop the type of relationship with the Lord that that you can pour your heart out to Him. The story is told of a man that God saved on his deathbed. The preacher would visit with him and several weeks had passed and the man still lying in that bed and growing weaker by the day said to the preacher, I I just don't understand how to pray. I'm trying to learn how to have this relationship with Jesus that you're talking about and I, I know he saved me and I'm trusting him for salvation but I struggle with prayer and the preacher pulled up a chair beside the bed and he sat it there and he says, well here's, What might help, when you pray, picture that the Lord Jesus Christ is sitting right here. Just through faith sigh, talk to the chair like you're talking to Jesus. So the man tried that. A few days later, his wife went in and found that he had passed away. He'd gone to heaven. The pastor came over to the house And she said, Pastor, tell me this something I don't understand. When he passed away, when I found him, his head was laying on that chair. He had developed such a relationship with the Lord that through faith's eye, he put his head in the lap of Jesus when he died. Do you have that kind of relationship with the Lord? Is it personal? Do you pour out your burdens before God? And we see that God desires to work immediately. The heart of Jesus was stirred, and, and he went to help in this situation. So it was a desperate inquiry, but it was personal. Secondly, we see it was persistent. The Bible says in verse 45, and Jesus said, Who touched me when all denied Peter? And they that were with him said, Master, the multitude thronged thee. Understand that there was a multitude of people that were agro- around them. In verse 42, it says, as he went, the people thronged him. This man had to be persistent to get to Jesus. There was a woman with an issue of blood pushing through the crowd and there were others that had needs. There was others crying out, heal me. They were blinded and they were sick and they were lepers. And there was others that were just saying, God, I need a touch. But this man was persistent. And he broke through the crowd and he found the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see it was personal, it was persistent, but it was pleading. Verse 41 says, And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was the ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet. Look at that next phrase and besought him. He besought him. That word besought means to seek comfort. It literally is speaking about when all else has failed, when your heart is absolutely broken and nothing else will do. This is what you cry out to, to find comfort in your life. And this man besought Jesus. He went to him and said, comfort me. And knowing that the Lord could heal his daughter, that's how he would receive comfort. So it was personal, it was persistent, but it was pleading. He with a broken heart came to Jesus looking for grace this i have learned there's one prayer request that god always answers no matter what and he always answers it in the affirmative it's when i ask for grace i may ask for healing and god says no no is still an answer by the way to prayer sometimes god says wait a little while but he always says this my grace is sufficient this man was pleading And God gave him grace. It was personal, it was persistent, it was pleading. But I find this important. It was without pretense. Verse 41, remember I told you something was important in verse 41? It says he was a ruler of the synagogue. Look what it says next he fell down at Jesus' feet. Well, that's not something a ruler of the synagogue ought to be doing, at least as far as the Jews are concerned. The Sanhedrin, if they found out, they'd have a fit. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they would probably excommunicate this ruler of the synagogue for making a fool of them. But he wasn't standing on pretense. The Bible talks about these rulers of the synagogue that they would walk around with uh, uh, dirt on their face and moaning and groaning on the days that they were fasting so that everybody would know. They would stand at the street corners and in the synagogues and pray with much words to impress others. But this man had no pretense whatsoever. He fell on his face before God. He worshiped him there and pleaded with him and begged with him that he would do a work in his life. You see, there comes a time in your life where all the pride and all the pretense, none of that matters anymore. All that matters is getting to Jesus. It was a desperate inquiry. I want you to notice, secondly, a despondent interruption. The Bible says in verse 43, we know that Jesus and Jairus are headed now towards the home where his daughter lay. And the Bible says "In a woman having an issue of blood 12 years, which has spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any. I will not read all the passage, but you remember the story as this woman reached through the press and grabbed the hem of the garment and was healed. And Jesus stopped and said, Who touched me? and hypocor said what do you mean who touched you we're being pressed by the throng there's a multitude of people who do you mean somebody everybody's touching you lord no 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 i felt virtue go out of me somebody touched me with faith somebody believed that getting to me would make a difference and the woman confessed he said daughter thy faith hath made thee whole i call it a interruption As this despondent woman came and interrupted the work of God for but a moment. But in that moment, Jairus' daughter died. From a human perspective, it cost valuable time. I'm sure that that's not what... Jairus, I, I can imagine Jairus going to Jesus and falling at his feet and catching his attention. And as Jesus begins to walk towards his home, he's, he's thrilled. He's excited and thought, you know, this is the last thing I, that I've tried. And, and maybe finally, Jesus, this miracle worker, this healer, will come and heal my daughter. And he's excited. And as he's walking ahead, and come on, let's go, and he's trying to get the crowd moving, and Jesus stops. Boy, it must have been difficult for him to see Jesus stop and minister to another. I'm not saying that Jairus was a selfish man, I'm saying he was a desperate man. He a man that loved his daughter and wanted Jesus to get there as quickly as he could. But this woman had a despondent interruption. But it was during that interruption we see that the, this, uh, from a humorous perspective it cost value time but from a heavenly perspective it created a valuable test. It was during that time that the Bible reminds us in verse 49 while he yet spake, talking to this woman, there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, Thy daughter is dead. Trouble not the master. I would never want to hear those words. Thy daughter is dead. Well, that would be heartbreaking. And maybe, just maybe, Jairus is thinking, oh, if he hadn't stopped, if this throng wasn't slowing his progress, if Jesus had just understood how urgent this situation was. Now it's too late. But it was a test. His faith would be tested. But would it break? You know, there's times I find that that's when God does test us. It's during the interruptions in life. It's during those times where our path doesn't go the way that we would hope it would go. Sometimes we have a five-year and a 10-year and a 20-year plan and we've got it all mapped out ahead of us. And yet God throws in a detour. God interrupts our plans for but a moment. I want you to just grab this this morning. You can trust him during the interruptions as well. Those interruptions were not just from a despondent lady. Those interruptions are divine. They are something that God has orchestrated to test you. And to, I don't imagine for a moment Abraham ever thought that he would have to walk to the mountains of Era and there uh, uh, sacrifice his son. It was an interruption, and yet God was there. Moses had a plan that he would serve God, but for God took him out to the Bible it says the backside of the desert. Here was the next great leader of Israel, one that would lead them out of bondage and for 40 years he'd sit on the backside of the desert and learn. Sometimes things always, don't always go according to our plans. But God is still there and our faith is being tested. The Bible talks about we ought to wait on the Lord, but they that wait upon the Lord, listen to this, shall renew their strength. While you're waiting during that interruption, if you will trust on the Lord, he will renew your strength. They shall mount up as wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Psalms 27 verse 14 says this, Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Well, we see an interruption, but we also see a deeper insight. You know, God knows things that you don't know. You say, how can I trust him when... I thought this was God's will, and I thought this was God's plan for my life, but now it's taken a vast right or left turn. I don't know which way I'm going. How can I trust him? Because he knows more than you do. He has a deeper insight. The Bible says in verse 49, While he yet spake, there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, Thy daughter is dead. Trouble not the master. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, Fear not. Believe only, and she shall be made whole. And when he came into the house, he suffered no man to go in save Peter and James and John and the father and the mother of the maiden and all wept and bewailed her. But he said, weep not. She is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. Jesus knew the beginning from the end. He had a spiritual perception. He could see through the eyes of faith and he knew what God was about to do and he makes a soothing proclamation. He says, fear not, believe only. But that led to a doubting ignorance. The Bible says they laughed him to scorn, knowing that he, she was dead. The Bible says the only people allowed to go into the house were Peter, James, and John, the father and the mother of the maiden. If I'm understanding scripture correctly, Scripture implies there were already some people in that house that he had to ask to leave later on. There were some outside that were wailing. There was some inside that were mourning. And as Jesus and Peter, James, and John, and the mother and the father went into the house, he discovered there there was some mourning in the house as well. Gathered around the bed of this child, likely some out in other rooms, and they were weeping. And you understand that in those days there were professional mourners, even called in to weep and to wail and to help people get past their grief. And as they came into that room, Jesus said, Weep not, she is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. Their ignorance led to mocking the master. They didn't have the same spiritual perception that he did. They couldn't see the end from the beginning. And sometimes we don't understand what God is trying to do, but we can trust him. Out on the plains of Mamre, Abraham pitched a tent. And three angels, one being the angel of the Lord, approached and said to Abraham, about this time next year, your wife is going to conceive and have a child. And inside the tent, they could hear Sarah laughing. Laughing. Not believing or trusting, but laughing. And how often are we prone to say, well, all I see is darkness and I can't see any any hope ahead, but friends, Jesus knows what's ahead. And you can trust him. And these people were doubtful in their ignorance, and their ignorance led to mocking the master, but their ignorance led to missing the miracle. Look what it says there. And they laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead, and he put them all out. They didn't get to see God work. You know, sometimes we scorn the work of God. I don't understand why we'd run these buses and bring these kids in, and boy, they make a mess in our church. Mock it and scorn it. You will miss the work of God. Man, I was so thrilled to stand in that Sunday school class, all those kids today. Last week I said, Some of you are going to be missionaries. There might be a boy in this room right now, be the next pastor of this church. That's the future. I'm thrilled about Thursday nights. I'm not getting involved in Thursday nights. The kids, they just, no, 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 no. Suffer the little children to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of God. I'm thankful for the opportunity to serve. Why, I don't like what's going on. Mock and score and you will miss the work of God. You'll miss out on it. Oh, Peter and James and John, they didn't mock. Mom and dad, they didn't mock. Jairus got to see God take her by the hand and say, maiden arise. And she arose. Oh, friends, when God is moving, get on board. When God is speaking, listen. When God is calling, answer. When God is working, get behind him and push. Let God use you. But let's not scorn the work of God. Their ignorance led to mocking the master. Their ignorance led to missing the miracle. And then we see a divine intervention in verse 54. And he put them all out and took her by the hand and called saying, May arise. And her spirit came again, and she arose straightway, and he commanded to give her meat. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them that they should tell no man what was done. We see, first of all, a call. He called her. We see a command. He commanded them to give her something to eat. Boy, that's a good sign you're feeling better, isn't it? I'm hungry. Give me something to eat. But then we see that Jesus had a concern, and I want you to follow me here. Verse 56 And her parents were astonished, but he charged them that they should tell no man what was done. Maybe you're like me and sometimes you wonder, why does Jesus tell them not to tell anybody? There were times earlier in his ministry where he'd say, go and tell no man. Show yourself to the priest only or what have you. And I kind of understood that a little bit because his time had not yet come. Jesus was trying to put the brakes on things. He was trying to, you say, well, why would he do that? Because he was the Passover lamb. There was a point time that he must die on the cross and pay for the sins of the world. There was a, there was a right time. And Jesus was so wise, he, he, he knew when to say, my time has yet not come. And he also knew when to say, it is finished. He knew when things were to take place. And so he was saying to them, don't, but now we're in the year of popularity. Now we're in the midst of all these miracles and people and multitudes are thronging him. Why would Jesus say, go and tell no one? I think maybe three things. Here's the first. Perhaps to preserve the girl from being a spectacle. Can you imagine that little girl, the attention she'd receive? The one that lie near death and finally died and was brought back. Well, that'd be difficult, wouldn't it, to go to school the next day like that? I mean, some would understand the mighty power of God, but others would think she was the undead or something. Who knows? Jesus loved children. And for an adult to go back into the city and proclaim the name of Christ was one thing, but to have this burden upon this child might be another. Maybe another reason and maybe more probable is this. To cause those who mocked him have to believe by faith and not by sight. If that little girl would walk out of that room and proclaim that she was healed before all those that had mocked Jesus a moment ago, they would all fall down, they'd all trust Jesus Christ. But isn't that the point? Absolutely. But we must believe by faith and not by sight. We must trust in Jesus Christ Because the word of God says he is God. Because he died upon a Roman cross and paid the price for our sins and though we see him not, we know that he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I'm his own. There's a personal relationship developed and I believe that perhaps that Jesus said, don't go and show her around. Don't don't show her off like a carnival sideshow. These people need to believe by faith. I wonder thirdly, perhaps... Was it to punish those who mocked? Was it punish those who mocked? I really don't know. But I wonder if the Lord Jesus Christ brokenhearted over those that mocked that he had the ability to save this child, mocked the very work of God, if Jesus thought, we just need to let them go home. You know, the Bible talks about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. There have been theological debates over that for years. What is the unpardonable sin? What is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? And boy, if if you read 30 different commentaries, you'll get 30 different answers. And if you ask 100 preachers, you'll get 100 answers. It's a difficult thing to understand. But this I know to stand in the very presence of Jesus, who has already proven himself time and time again, miracle after miracle, and to mock him to scorn. I wonder if Jesus said, this bread's not for the dogs. I don't say that flippantly. That's right out of scripture. These men have mocked me and scorned me. So I have nothing for them today. Oh, I don't want to ever get to that place. Those who missed out on the work of God laughed and scorned and doubted and mocked. Those who saw God work, prayed, persisted. They took an interest and they involved themselves. They said, we want to be a part of this. And there they were standing in the room when their daughter was given back to them. I want to be in that last crowd. <laughs> you say, well, how, how do we mock? There are times where we pray for somebody Oh, God, save them from this pancreatic cancer. And then we walk out in the hallway and we say, Oh, boy, I guess they're really in trouble. They don't have much time left. Are you mocking God? You're going to miss some work. It may be God's will that He take them home, but how do we know that? So we pray and we're persistent. And maybe, just maybe, God's grace comes into that person's life. And whether He saves them physically or not, God's grace is evident and saves a few others. Oh, I want to be a part of that. I want to be there. I want to see God work. I don't want to be sitting on the sidelines, criticizing and complaining. I want to get in the action. Somebody put it this way, I want to get under the spell where the glory comes out. That's what I want. I hope that's what you want. That's what J. Iris wanted. He wanted desperately for his daughter to be saved, but he knew I got to be persistent. Let me ask you just one more question and we'll be done. What if J. Iris got the news that his daughter had died and they said trouble not the master? <laughs> And he turned to Jesus and said, I guess that's it then. We're too late. And Jesus says, Be not afraid, only believe. She's not dead, she's just sleeping. And Jairus responded with, Well, she has the best doctors. They're sitting by her bed. And if they say she's gone, she's gone. No, Jairus, just trust me, just believe. Jairus says, huh. You're just giving false hope. <laughs> you know what would have happened? I think he would have missed out on it too. But he just quietly went with Jesus. And when it was all said and done, it was only mom and dad that believed with Peter, James, and John. And they got to see the work of God. There's a whole lot bigger crowd that was mocking than those that were in the room observing God work. I want to be in the room. I want to see him move. I want to see him save souls. I I want to be there when God does some mighty miracles. And I believe he still will and still can. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. The altar's open even now. If God has spoke to your heart, would you come? Our Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for being so good to us. And Father, we pray the word that you would help us, Lord, understand the plight of Jairus. There are some in this room that know very well what he was feeling at that very moment. But Lord, help us just to get a glimpse of it somehow. and Restore unto us that... That desire to have that personal relationship with God that is pleading and persistent and without pretense and just pleading with God and begging God to take care of us. Lord, that's faith. When we just, without pretense, fall before God and say, God, we are yours. Whatever you says happen, I'm okay with it. God, help us to trust you not only during those desperate moments but through the interruptions in life. When it seems like our life has gone the way we wouldn't expect, Help us, Lord, not to doubt and just to trust you for that moment you decide you're going to work at that perfect, perfect time. Oh, God, help us not to miss out, but to be faithful and to pursue you with all our heart, soul, and mind. And Father, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Nobody's looking around. If God has spoke to your heart, this altar is open. Even now, would you step out and come? Maybe there's one here today, say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. I don't have a relationship with Christ. If I were to die today, I don't know where I'd spend eternity. Would you pray for me? Nobody's looking around. I'm not going to embarrass you. I want to pray for you today. Is there one? Is there one? Maybe there's others that say, I'm trying to trust God through something. There's been an interruption in my life. I just need to hold on, trust Him. As he works in the interruptions too. He has a desire to help you and work you and you want to be there when he does it. Hold on, don't mock, don't scorn, don't give up. Trust him. I want not you come to this altar even now. Brother Baker's going to sing. If the Lord has spoke to your heart, let's do business with God.